We are so glad to see you guys. We are continuing on our series through the book of Joshua. Before I, I, I go any further, Amy and I are excited. Amy's mom's with us today, so I'm glad to have you, Miss Weekly. And her sister from California, Melinda, is here, and her uh, daughter, Ella, so we're glad to have them. There's more people actually living in Murfreesboro from California that are in California right now. I mean, every, every day, there's just everybody. She's not here to buy your house. Don't worry. That's what folks think, yeah. But we're glad because this little secret, my wife's got a big milestone birthday today, so we're about to celebrate that. I'm not saying what year it is, but it's, it's, a, it's a good one, right? Is it okay I can say that? We're happy with it. It's 50. I mean, we're embracing it. Yeah, so that's good. I have looked like I'm 50 for the past 25 years. She has. Uh, she has. She has not. But, man, we're, we're excited that you're here today. This is, uh, this is one of those uh, texts that um, I just think there's so much there, and I I could, I could study this and we could talk about it for, for hours. I, I, I'm not, but there's just a lot at stake because what we're going to see today is one of these things, we're studying through the book of Joshua. If you're new with us, we're just going chapter by chapter through Joshua. We're doing a daily podcast covering every single nook and cranny of this book because there's just so much in this book that we need in our life today. And so when we get to chapter 9, chapter 9 is an interesting chapter. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up, Joshua chapter 9. And we see um, Joshua, who is uh, leading over 2 million Hebrews and has led them uh, across the Jordan River at flood stage. He's led them uh, to defeat uh, the city of Jericho where the walls came crumbling down. They had a second victory at Ai. So he is this powerful leader that God is using in amazing ways. But when we get to Joshua chapter 9, he makes a foolish mistake. And God's Word gives us a chance to learn from the mistakes of others so we don't have to learn everything the hard way. That's one of the beautiful things about the Word of God. And so we're going to take, in the next few minutes, we're going to take a closer look at at a foolish decision. And we've all made foolish decisions, right? And then at the very end of our time, in the the next 30 minutes, the end of our our time, we're going to close with this. I want to try to deliver something to you if you want it. I want to give you three little questions uh, from to help you with your biggest decisions. Three little questions for life's biggest decisions. That's how I want to kind of close our time. So let's jump in to Joshua chapter 9. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, let's stop there, the kings west of the Jordan. Again, children of Israel left Egypt, 40 years in captivity in the wilderness. They cross over the Jordan. Now they're taking possession of this promised land. And so you have some established, this is so important, you have these established city-states, these groups of people who have been in this land uh, for years, and they are fortified, and the children of Israel are going to have to drive them out to inhabit the land. And so it says, after these things, after the things that we just talked about, the crossing of the Jordan at flood stage, uh, the destruction of Jericho where the walls fell, the the destruction of this powerful city, Ai, so the, the people that are in the land are beginning to hear about the power of the God of these Hebrews. It says, the kings of the hill country in the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as Lebanon, and then it lists the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites. You might want to underline that one. That's going to be key for our study today, this group of people, and the Jebusites. It says in verse 2 that these five city-states, it says they came together to wage war against Joshua. 
and Israel. Now, prior to this, prior to the children of Israel coming into the land, prior to Joshua bringing them to the land, these groups of people hated each other. They were constantly at war with each other, but now they have a common enemy, and they think that they can form an alliance together and destroy what God is, is, is doing. Verse 3, however, when the people of Gibeon, here's a little bit of a confusing part of this passage. The people of Gibeon, Gibeon and the Hivites, they're the same people. They're a part of these uh, five different city-states, and so they, they pull out. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, the power of God, they resorted, verse 4, resorted to a ruse. In other words, they were going to deceive the children of Israel because in, in their mind, they, they knew there was power that was the, the, coming from the God of Israel, and, and they felt like their only chance at survival uh, was to deceive the children of Israel. So they resorted to a ruse or, or to do deception. It, it says in verse 4, they went as a delegation. In other translations, it might say as ambassadors. The point is they tried to present themselves as these high-ranking officials, Right? So they, they went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins that they had cracked and mended, uh, that had cracked and they had mended. Verse 5, they put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. That was all a part of the ruse because uh, this group of people, the Gibeonites, were from 25 miles away. Let me say it again. They were from 25 miles away from where the children of Israel were at Gilgal. That's like... Murfreesboro to Antioch, but they are presenting themselves that they're from a long way away, outside of the land of Canaan. Why are they presenting themselves that way? Because they knew the promise that God had given or the, the challenge that God had given to the children of Israel that they were not to make a treaty with anybody in, in the land, so they want to appear that they are from a long way away so that their lives uh, can be spared. It says, verse 6, then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. In other words, we're not from around here. Like we're from a long way off, so don't worry about those, that promise you have to keep of making treaties with the land. You should make a treaty with those guys, but we're not like those guys. Verse 7, the Israelites said to the Hivites, this is interesting. Like it, it makes me think that there's a group of people among this two million that recognize the deception that's going on. They call them the Hivites. So they realize, hey, you guys are just from down the road. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? In other words, they're saying, that would be violating a command that God has given us. Why would we, why would we do that? And then verse, verse 8, here's what the Gibeonites say, we are your servants they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, because he's curious, who are you and where do you come from? So Joshua is, is concerned, uh, but he perhaps doesn't look into it deep enough. Let's read on. They answered, your servants had come from a very distant country. Again, the same lie, because of the fame of the Lord your God. And, and if you write in your Bible, we, we just kind of see our Bible as a life textbook here. And so writing in it is something that, that we're all about. I, I just wrote flattery in my Bible in the margin there because that's what, they're, that's what they're trying to do. Hey, we're your servants. We heard about your God. He's killing it, literally. And uh, we want in. And uh, we, just, we just come here to do whatever you want to do. Right? We, we believe in the power of your God. But if, if they had just such an orthodox belief in the power of this God of the nation of Israel, it seems peculiar they would be lying to his people. But that's for another day. 
So he said, when, he, when we have heard the reports of all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, so there were victories that the children of Israel won through God's power before they even crossed over the Jordan River. And this group of people said, we heard about that too. And then they list the name of those kings, Shehan and Hezbon and Og, king of Bashan, just saying these are just real people, real battles and real victory. We heard about that. And so verse 11, they say, our elders... And all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them, meet the children of Israel, and say to them, we are your servants. Again, that's flattery. Make a treaty with us. Make an alliance. Let's do a deal, right? Verse 12, here's what they say. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now see how dry and moldy it is, like they're really laying it on thick. Here, Verse 13, and these wineskins that were filled, and they were brand new when we left, but see how cracked they are? And our clothes and our sandals are worn out by this very long journey. If you'd do me a favor, it would be so helpful, and I promise you, I, I, I think it would make a difference. Would you just underline that word sandals in your Bible? We're going to come back to that in just a few, mo- a few moments. Now verse 14, here it is. Verse 14 is by far the most important passage in this Scripture. We can't miss what's in play here. The Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. This in one sentence tells us the reason that Joshua, this great leader, makes a foolish decision. And I I, want to say to you, it is the same reason that I make foolish decisions in my life. And that many times you make foolish decisions in your life because we sample the provisions. In other words, we trust our senses, but we don't trust the Spirit right? That's what Joshua does. Say, hey, let me see that bread for, yeah, it's, it's, it's old. It's old. Take a slug off that wine there. Yeah. You guys have been traveling a while. Let's see those shoes. Yeah. You're coming from a long distance and never inquires of the Lord, trusting his senses over the spirit. Verse 15, then Joshua made a treaty with them, which is Some of you are still like, what's the big deal here? This clearly violates the word of God. Three times, twice in Exodus and one in Deuteronomy, the children of Israel are clearly told not to make any treaty with people living in the land. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them and let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. In other words, signed, sealed, and delivered. We got this thing done. Now, verse 16, and we'll stop here. Three days after... They made the treaty with the Gibeonites. The Israelites heard that they were neighbors. What they thought was true was actually true, and they were living near them. And so this great leader, Joshua, who's leading over 2 million people, makes a foolish decision, and in three days, everybody knows it. It's a pretty embarrassing situation right? So let's stop here, and I want us to take a closer, closer look at this and see some things that I think we can really learn from this because, listen, we're going to make foolish decisions in our life, right? But wonder if we could limit them. wonder if we could really learn some principles from God's Word that could really limit the foolish decisions that we make in our life. That'd be worth our time here today, wouldn't it? There's no, no question about that. So let's take a closer look at a foolish decision, then we'll get those three questions, and we'll be done today. Here, here's the first one. And again, this isn't everything you could say from this text, but I think these are important things. Number one, as we take a closer look at this foolish decision, no one is exempt from a foolish decision. 
That's pretty clear. Joshua, this great leader, handpicked by Moses and the Lord to lead the children of Israel into this land of promise, makes a foolish decision. We've all made foolish decisions. We've been deceived. We've purchased things we shouldn't have purchased. We've entered into relationships we've never should have entered into. In business deals, we've never should have entered in. We maybe made a decision with a, with a school that we should have never been at, and on and on and on. It goes. I mean, some of you are here today and you've moved your family maybe a great distance because a job promised this and you've got here and you've thought, boy, it is way different. I just want you to see today, I mean, Joshua, one of the greatest leaders in Scripture, makes a foolish decision. And wouldn't it be great, can I just say this, I would, wouldn't it be great if we had some grace for each other when we just make foolish decisions in our life? I think the church may be the place where we do this like worse than any other place. Like when a leader makes foolish decisions, you say, Pastor Brady, have you made foolish decisions? Yes, Wednesday. <laughs> right? So we could have, it doesn't mean that I want to continue to do that. It doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for that. It doesn't mean that I am broken. But we could have some grace for, for foolish decisions. Joshua makes one. I want to show you a picture here of a guy. His name is Lazio Haynes. He is um, credited, Lazio is credited with making the, the first purchase using cryptocurrency. He did this in 2010 uh, using uh, the newly coded, at that point, Bitcoin. He bought two pizzas. I just want to notice one I think is just a cheese, a supreme and a cheese. Uh, and he paid um, 10,000 Bitcoin uh, for these two pizzas. They were roughly $41 for these two pizzas. Um, if he would have held on to that Bitcoin, uh, several years later, uh, that uh, 10,000 Bitcoin would have been worth over $500 million. That's expensive pizza. He could have bought a good chunk of Sicily uh, with, with that. And so we look at that and we say, man, that's a foolish decision. Well, we've all made foolish decisions. We, we just want to make, make fewer foolish decisions. And here's the second thing, and this is really, really Im Im important. Uh, I have a granddaughter now. I see the world differently. Um, I have five nieces watching online right now. I have one niece who's sitting over here to my left watching, uh, uh, especially for young girls. Uh, I want you to listen to what we're about to say, okay? I think it's really important. Um, I think if we're going to learn from a foolish decision, take a closer look at a foolish decision, we've got to learn to look for fruit versus listen to flattery, let me say that to you again. We have to, in our life, learn to look for fruit. And you might say, well, explain that to me. What do you mean, look for fruit? I'm talking here about spiritual fruit, evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in a person's life, and that might be evidenced by, as the Scripture says, they have unconditional love, they've got joy, they have peace, they have self-control, they're a patient person. In other words, you want to look for fruit instead of just listening to flattery. I think Joshua got caught up in listening to flattery, and we all, we all do right? All of us do. And I, I want to say this just very clearly. Always be alert for everybody. Always be alert for lies. That's what Joshua lost sight of because deceit is the enemy's primary weapon. Does that make sense? Would you agree or disagree? Scripture calls him the father of lies. Deceit is the enemy's primary weapon. So if that's true, you have to always be alert for lies. Let me show you a verse. It's a powerful verse. Look, look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 on the same point. Be alert and of sober mind. Like anytime we're intoxicated with, with anything, it limits our ability to make a good decision. Is that fair? Can someone just nod? Yeah, with anything. And so we can be intoxicated with flattery, with false praise, 
And that we can be intoxicated by that, and that will limit our ability to make a good decision. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, uh, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The primary way he does that is through, through lies. You see, there was a mom who came up to me Thursday night. She said, I have a 16-year-old daughter, and uh, I really want to try to teach her. She's got a new boyfriend the first time, and I want to try to help her know how can she know when her boyfriend is, is, is lying to her. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you some help here. I was a 16-year-old boy. Let me tell you this. If his lips are moving, he is lying. That's how she'll know. That's how she'll know. And she just looked so shocked. She was like, oh, my. Should I tell her that? Yes, you should, right? If I'm wrong, we'll be wrong to the good side on that, right? We'll, we'll take that, yeah. But we, we, we need, kind of as Reagan said, trust and verify. That, that's what Saul, uh, excuse me, that's what Joshua doesn't, doesn't do. So we can, we can be intoxicated by flattery and, and miss the fruit, miss the spiritual thing that God's doing there, right? It's an important thing. Now, let me show you another verse, and then we'll move on just really quickly. In Ephesians chapter 4, you might want to go back and read this section this afternoon. Paul's really talking about evidence of spiritual maturity. Here's how you know when you're really maturing spiritually. Here's what it will look like. And then he, he gives that in verse 14. He says, then you will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people, people in their deceitful scheming. That spiritual maturity is that you will be able to identify the deceits and the schemes of the people around you. And if you don't learn to do that, you will continue to make foolish decisions all throughout your life. And what did we say? One of the keys to help you do that is start looking for fruit instead of just listening to flattery, all right? Here's the third thing, and we're moving through this quickly. The third thing is this. Your grandmother was right. Sleep on it. A closer look at foolish decisions, sleep on it. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Well, a couple things. Let's think about this for a second. So grandmother was right when she said to sleep on it. If you're in sales, help me with this. Anybody in sales? All right, okay. That's what I'm in, man. I'm trying to close the deal here today, right? <laughs> but in sales, here's what, here's what a lot of people say in sales. Time kills deals. It hasn't worked all weekend long, Nick, but I keep trying it. It's the fourth time and nobody's gotten it. Well, you just got a sales train today. You said you came to church, we got sales train. Time kills deals. Because isn't that true? If you're in sales, if somebody likes something, if, if you sell an automobile, if you sell a, a home, if you're selling anything, a service, you want someone to make that decision now, what you don't want to hear is, I'm going to go home and think about it, right? You want to close, right? Because time kills deals. Let me tell you something, in, in, in decision-making, not giving it time will really kill you. In fact, listen to what the Bible says, Proverbs 19, verse 2. Desire without knowledge is not good. And most of the time we are controlled by our desires, right, in, in, instead of God's will for our life. Desire without knowledge is not good. Watch this phrase. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? That's a super practical passage, isn't it? How much more will hasty feet miss the way? Miss what way? God's way. So grandmother was right when she said, sleep on it. Take some time in a decision. If somebody is forcing you really quickly to make a decision now, it's here for one day and one day only. Be careful, right, because it's violating a biblical principle. Now, another thing I'd say about sleeping on it, think about this. This is my opinion. People have looked at me weird all weekend long. Another thing about sleeping on it is this. I hear people all the time talk about this. How can I really discern 
the will of God or how can I hear God's voice? I want to hear God's voice about a situation. Does God speak to us today? The answer to that is yes, God speaks through his word, God speaks to us through the wisdom of other people, but God still speaks to his children. And I I promise you, I think one of the key ways that you can begin to hear the Lord is this. The most important decision you have facing you in your life right now, try this. Pray about it last thing before you doze off tonight to go to bed. The last thought that you have, take that before the Lord. The most important decision that is, take it before the Lord. When you wake up, when you are conscious tomorrow morning, before your feet hit the ground, be aware of really the first thought or first couple of thoughts that come to your mind. Here's why. Here's why. I think one of the reasons why we don't hear the voice of God is because the noise and the clutter that exists in our life on a daily basis. And when we are still before the Lord, we position ourselves better than any other time throughout the day to hear God's voice. I'm not saying that's automatic. I'm not saying it'll happen every single morning. I think it's a good practice and principle to be in. And that's why grandmother was right. Sleeping on it helps in in multiple ways. The guy who's discipling me says this. It's just good practical insight. He says, Brady, be quick on the reversible decisions. Like you go to Jim and Nick's for lunch today, just park. I I don't think you have to pray about where you park. Just do it. Park somewhere. Amy's like that with me sometimes. Park it for crying out loud. Just get, get somewhere. Be quick on the reversible decisions. And some of you drive, are, are driving people around you crazy because you overthink every little decision. Quick on the reversible decisions, but slow down on the irreversible ones. I think it's just good practical advice. Now, here's what I, here's what I want us to do. Look at this fourth thing, and then we'll get the three questions that are embedded here. Here's the fourth thing. A closer look at a foolish decision. No one is exempt from foolish decisions, Right? Look for fruit instead of listen to flattery. Your grandmother was right. Sleep on it. Don't be too hasty. Joshua gets hasty, makes a decision. It costs him. And then lastly, the most important thing that we see from this text is we need to check in with God. Check in with God on important decisions. Now, that's what verse 14 says. The Israelites sampled their provision but did not inquire of the Lord. Now, foolish decisions are always a result of trusting your senses more than the Spirit. Does that make sense? I think if you only left with one thing today, I wonder if you could leave with that. Foolish decisions are always a result of trusting my senses instead of trusting the Spirit of God. Look at James chapter 1, verse 5. It's a great passage. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, who of us lacks wisdom? All of us in some area. Would you agree with that? Any of you lacks wisdom? That's me. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Well, that's a novel concept, but it's a Joshua doesn't do that. He trusts his senses. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. I love this next phrase. Who gives generously to all without finding fault. This isn't health and wealth stuff. It's in the context of asking for wisdom. Do you see that? God wants to give us, he wants to bestow bestow wisdom on us generously without finding fault. We ask and it will be given to us. So that's what it means to check in with God. We check in with God by checking into the Word. You'll never know the will of God without being in the Word of God. It is impossible to do that. It's so, so important. But here, let's look at these three questions, these three little questions for life's big decision. I think they can be helpful for us because I want to make fewer foolish decisions. Anybody with me? Like I, I want to make, I, I'm, I'm tired of learning everything the hard way. I'm 51 years old. I want to make fewer foolish decisions. Well, here's a couple things that'll help. These are three little questions for life's big decisions. Number one, here's the first question. Has God already answered this in his word? 
Has God already answered this in his word? That's a question to ask because for many of the decisions that you and I have and that we face in our life, God has already answered that in his word in either a precept or a principle, right? And, and, and in fact, this particular decision that Joshua has to make, God had already told him three times the very same thing, right? He'd already answered that question. Should we make a treaty with them? Look at Exodus 34, 12. I want to show you something. Here's one of those three examples. God says through Moses, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going. This is where Joshua is now. Or they will be a snare among you. Uh, some of you know I've, I've had COVID a couple weeks ago, and and, and uh, I was able to accomplish something I'm really proud of through COVID. People have learned, you know, different you know foreign languages, done a lot of things. I was able to finish the uh, Mountain Man reality TV series all ten seasons. I was able to knock it out uh, while I had COVID. I'm super super proud. I mean, I did that together. It's, uh, it's great. Uh, any of you Mountain Man fans here? Hadn't been anybody all weekend. It's good. I like it. I like it. Uh, it's, it's just a reality series that follows these folks in all different parts of the country, just live off, live off the land. And one of the things that they all do, they live in different parts of the country, one of the things they all do, they all know how to snare. People have been snaring or passive, passively hunting uh, since the beginning of time. That's what this passage is talking about. That's what God's saying. If you make a treaty with them, if you violate what I'm calling you to do, they will be a snare to you because everything God commands us to do, I wish you guys, I want you to know this. And I don't want our college students to know that. Everything God's called us to, he's given us his word to bring freedom in our life. That's why. And he says, if you violate this, they will be a snare. Think about what a snare does. A snare is basically just a big loop right? That's set. And when an animal walks through that noop, loop, it, it pulls tight. Got him. Now, I, don't, I know it's close to lunch. This, this may affect your lunch. But if a badger, many times a badger is caught in a snare, a badger's foot or leg is caught in a snare, do you know what a badger will do? Chew it off. Now, is he free? He's free, but he's walking with a limp for the rest of his life. And so that's what God is wanting us to do. And so it is so important to stop anytime I have a decision and the first little question to ask for life's big, 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 big decisions, has God already answered this? Like in relationships, in relationships, we spend the bulk of our time and we're happy to do it. We will continue to do it till Jesus comes back, just helping people with, with, with broken relationships. Most of the time people start a relationship and never check in with God on what he would have for them. And we violate it all the time. Like, who should I marry? Well, the Bible's really clear that we don't enter into a marriage agreement with somebody who's, who's not a follower of, of, of Christ, right? So the Bible has answered so many of these things. Relationally, our attitudes, attitudes that we have that we just continue to carry. Is it all right just to continue to carry this attitude of unforgiveness or this attitude of resentment or anxiety that I have? Well, the Bible has answered so many of those things, so many of those decisions that we're trying to make. Job, this is a big one. People are all the time asking, should I take the job? Now, watch this. I said to you a moment ago that the, the Bible answers questions in either a, a, a clear command or a principle to follow. The Bible does not speak to where you're to work completely. The Bible speaks a lot about how we are to work. Does that make sense? Where to work is unto the Lord, right? And so it's important if you're obeying that, then God will give you greater clarity on the other. So all these things. But here's what I hear from people, and I'm not, what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. 
But people say, well, I don't know the Bible that well. Like if the Bible's already answered, I don't know the Bible that well. How do I know if the Bible has, has spoken to these issues in my life, these big decisions I have to make? Because I just, I'm not an expert in the Bible. Google it. You Google everything, right? I do too. There is a YouTube video on anything and everything you want to do. Any question, we Google everything. And you say, now, is that the best? I, 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 there's other ways to do that. But like, just, just Google, just Bible verses on, you fill in the blank. Your screen will be filled with passages of Scripture. It is not a bad way to start, right? What does the Bible say about dating? What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about divorce? On and on and on and on and on it goes, right? I mean, that's not a bad way to, to, to start. Do you see that? Here's the second question. Watch this. I'm going to ask you to play along with me here. You guys still with me? we got four minutes. Can you hang in? Let's do it. It'll be a little longer now. But anyways, <laughs> second thing, second little question to ask to life's big decisions. Does it have God's fingerprints on it? When an opportunity comes my way and I have a decision to make, a second question to ask is, does it have God's fingerprints on it? Watch this. What did the Gibeonites say about their bread? Help me. Run out of time. It's moldy. It's dry. Right? It's moldy. It's dry. Because we've been going for a long way, traveling a long time, at least I think. Now, let's think about something. The children of Israel, now watch this. I'm not saying that every single time in our life God does it the exact same way. But the children of Israel had just spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Remember that? Let me ask you a question. What was their bread like during that 40-year period? It was fresh every day. It wasn't dry. Right? It was manna, right? God provided fresh bread every single day. Do you remember that? Let me ask you a question. What about their shoes? The children of Israel, 40 years in the wilderness. What about their shoes? What was unique about their shoes? Scripture says they didn't wear out. So here's, here's my point. You can take, if Joshua and his group would have taken a look at the story that the Gibeonites were telling them, and they would have said, this doesn't match up with our story. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying that that, that means we, sh we shouldn't uh, do a treaty with them or a deal. God's Word has already clearly said that. I'm just trying to say, look, it doesn't look like it has the fingerprints of God on it. That's not the way God worked with us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Does that make sense? Looking for the fingerprints of God in a situation and circumstance. Paul says, we learn to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That word pretension is a hard word, right? What does it mean? It's built on the root word pretend, right? That people use drama, that's what the Gibeonites were doing, to pretend, to, to kind of make their claim. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Listen, this is a great verse. If you could understand this word picture, it would change things. When Paul says, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, here's what he means. It's a word picture that a shepherd would know. When they were grazing their sheep or their goats, they would graze them together because there was just a small amount of pasture. And then when it was time to take their own sheep or goats uh, back, to, back home, they would pull them out of the flock and they would look for their brand. That's what it meant to take it captive. They had to see, does this animal have my brand on it? And so what Paul is saying, watch this, it's a beautiful word picture, that every thought decisions that we have to make in our life, if we could pull that out and look at it and say, does this have the fingerprints of God on this? Does this have God's brand on it? And if it doesn't, then we discard it. Does that make sense? And that's what the children of Israel, that's what they could have done, but they missed it, and, and so do I. Now, what I'm about to say, I'm running out of time, and this is, this is controversial. I'm not going to be able to drive this home well. I'm going to just, it's a terrible thing for a preacher to do. Nick, never do this. It's bad. Never do what I'm about to do. But partnerships built on neediness typically leave you broken. 
So many times we enter into partnerships or agreements, uh, and they're based on brokenness. In other words, like you'll, you'll talk to someone and say, how'd you guys get together? Well, he was a mess. Oh, my gosh. He was an absolute wreck. I married him. You think, wow, okay, how's that working? It's not. Now we're both a mess. I'm not saying that sometimes it doesn't work, but so many times people appeal on the basis of their neediness, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be sent. Please listen to what I'm about to say. I'm not saying that we don't meet needs of others. Of course we do that. I mean, Joshua could have been compassionate with the Gibeonites, and here's some fresh bread, and here's some wine and some new shoes, and, and you, you can go on your way. That didn't mean that he had to get into a, an agreement with them based off of their neediness, and sometimes we'll do that in business. We'll do a lot of things. We just feel sorry for somebody based on their neediness, and we'll enter into an unhealthy alignment. But I want to tell you something. Listen, if we're looking for God's fingerprint, let me just tell you something that I know. God doesn't need anything. Right? He's not needy. So someone is presenting themselves as a representative of the Lord. God's not needy. That's not his nature. Be careful. Right? Be careful. Now, here's the last thing, a third thing. The third, third little question for life's big decisions, decision is this. What does your owl say? And you say, well, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You have an owl. The wisest person in your life, that's your owl. The person in your life that knows the Word of God and the will of God more, better than anybody else, what does he say? Or what does she say, right? What does she say about the situation? Because Proverbs 12, 15, watch this. The way of fools seems right to them. We can, we can be blinded in so many different areas of our life, but the wise listen to advice. In big decisions, let someone wiser than you weigh in on that decision. That's what the scripture says. Um, one of my favorite shows of all time is uh, Seinfeld. You like Seinfeld? People have told me, uh, Nick actually, a minute ago, he doesn't like Seinfeld. Uh, a lot of people don't. That's you. I love it. Uh, it, was great, it was a great show. My favorite Seinfeld clip I want to show you on the way out today. It's my favorite Seinfeld clip of all time. If you don't like this clip, something's wrong with you. George Costanza is this character, uh, Jerry's best buddy, and he's kind of down on his luck, and he just every decision he makes is bad, and it's just not working out for him. So he stumbles on an idea that he would start just doing the opposite. You know, whatever he thinks, he'd just do the opposite, and just watch what turns out. Let's take a look at this clip as we close. Uh, George, you know that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents <laughs> don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong then the opposite would have to be right. Yes. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. <laughs> oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. <laughs> my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. I'm Victoria. Hi. <laughs> my favorite part is the way he looks back at Jerry like, it's working. Yeah. So you say, okay. Like we're that, what in the world? That was a bad decision to show a Seinfeld clip to finish a message. 
maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe it, it, it points to something that I think could be helpful for all of us. I think it's what Paul was getting at in Galatians 5. Let me just show it to you real quick and we'll close. Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. What does he mean? By the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit living inside of you. In other words, he says, as a part of your everyday rhythm of life, be led by the Holy Spirit of God. And no one in this room would disagree with that, right? We would say 100%. But I think the honest truth for most of us, it's hard to walk right now with a sensitivity to the Spirit. We hear a lot of other voices clearer than we hear the Spirit of God at times in our life. Listen to what Paul goes on to say. So walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. When Paul is talking about the flesh, I think this is a difficult theological thing to think about. He's talking about our old nature. And we say, well, how can our old nature, flesh, have an impact in our current decisions? But think about it this way. Think about this. The moment that you came to faith in Christ, the moment you repented of your sin and trusted Christ, the Scripture says you were a new creation. Is that right? So that sin factory, as Spurgeon said, the sin factory that was our heart was closed down. But all on the property, all of those contaminated barrels, if you will, of all those old habits and old beliefs and old behaviors, they're still, they're still buried in the ground and they seep and they leak and they contaminate, in many ways, our lives. And not only that, but everything that is around us in this world the system of this world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the willful pride of life. That is what predominates our life. So that's the stuff that is easier for us to think about first, these old selfish desires, because the world feeds us that, and our life has been contaminated by that. And so that's what jumps to the surface first when we have to make a decision. But wonder if we did the opposite. Wonder if we had a decision and the first thought that we had, we said, you know what? Maybe I ought to do just the opposite of what I feel like. Because I hear people say this all the time. You know, I just, I just do what I feel. Can I just tell you something? That's terrible logic. Or people will say, well, I, I just let my heart be my guide. The Bible says our heart is deceitful above all things. That's not the best logic. So I wonder if we just stopped and said, you know what? I might just do the opposite feel like just moving in with my girlfriend, just living there. That's what I feel like. That's what makes sense to me. I understand that. That's a part of that old nature. That makes complete sense. But wonder if we did just the opposite. wonder if we understood that God was calling us to a life of purity that is countercultural. wonder if we committed our life to that person in marriage as God called us to do. It is the opposite. We might find freedom. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you, not, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Maybe in some strange, weird way today, George might have touched on something that could be helpful. To do the opposite of what I feel in the moment, unless... My feelings are controlled by the spirit of the living God. You know, even, even in this moment, as we close this service, and those of you who are still watching online, I wonder if you did the opposite. 
every single week you're here and, and God begins to speak to you, but you walk out and walk right back into the same old life. But wonder if today you did the opposite. You didn't leave, you stayed. And you finally surrendered. Did the opposite of what you've doing, been doing for so long, controlling and holding on to your life. Wonder if you surrendered. You see, Jesus said something that I want to close with that I think is super practical as we finish up Joshua's story today in Joshua chapter 9. You see, the result of Joshua's decision brought embarrassment. Would you agree with that? Embarrassment as a leader in front of two million people. Let me just say something to you. When we make a foolish decision about life's most important decision, the result isn't embarrassment. It's an eternity of separation. And Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? In essence, Jesus is saying it is so utterly foolish to put all of your eggs in this temporary basket and to neglect the eternal. For some of you today, it's time to do the opposite. You have been trusting yourself, living for yourself for years. And I want to tell you something, that's a foolish decision. But today is a day to do the opposite and surrender and watch what the Lord will do in your life. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for giving us a chance to take a closer look at a foolish decision. Father, help us to ask these little questions to life's big decision. Has your word already answered it? Does it have your fingerprints on it? What does the owl say? And Father, many times, obedience to you has us walking in the opposite direction of this culture. Grant us the wisdom and the courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.